Hey everyone, this is Tom. Before we get into this week's episode of Device Talks Weekly, I wanted to share a new program that we're rolling out at Device Talks. It's called Device Talks Tuesdays. I've talked about it before. We're going to launch it on May 19th, 4 p.m. on Tuesday, May 19th. You are invited to participate in a conversation led by leaders from the Mayo Clinic who will be talking about what they're doing to get their healthcare system back online, to bring patients back in and to work toward restoring some sort of normal. This is something we all need to see in the med tech sector. So this will be a very insightful conversation led by Mark Weed. Mark's the chair of the Mayo Clinic's Division of Engineering. This is a conversation that Mark was going to lead or a form of it at least at our Device Talks Minnesota meeting. So we're bringing Device Talks to you, where you are, if you're working at your kitchen table, your dining room table, wherever you are, our Device Talks meetings are coming to you. So go to devicetalks.com. You'll see the Device Talks Tuesday tab. Sign up. We've got several sessions, including one that's featuring our guests on the podcast today. And uh, we would love to have you as part of these conversations. These are free to attendees. This is our way of keeping in touch with you. And uh, I really hope you'll join us on Tuesday, May 19th, and many Tuesdays after that. Now let's get into this conversation. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome to this week's episode of Device Talks Weekly. It's great to have you here. We're going to do things a little differently this week. Chris Newmarker is taking this week's podcast off because we're going to examine the state of employment in medtech. This is something that Chris and I have talked about in past episodes. We've talked about medtech companies that have handed out furloughs, layoffs, pay cuts, diminished hours. Everyone's trying to lower the burn rate and prepare for life under the pandemic. Of course, elective surgeries are down, business is down. We're hoping for a rebound, but until then, some companies are cutting back. A lot of companies, unfortunately, are cutting back. And this is a challenge for folks, obviously, seeking employment. I got uh, some word, some emails from uh, folks who are starting out in med tech, uh, trying to find out good ways to uh, to get into the sector, to find those those opportunities, it's a, it's a difficult time to be uh, having coffee with folks, to be networking with folks. It's hard to get together at conferences like ours to to meet the people you need to, to meet to open those doors. So we wanted to dedicate this episode to uh, to the employment situation. So there is some good news, of course. We talked about Baxter a couple of weeks ago. They're hiring. Insulet is hiring. Seeing some movement on the uh, on the startup front. Uh, Mir Emron of uh, Ronnie had uh, posted on LinkedIn just yesterday that they're looking to hire uh, engineers for their clinical trials. They're moving forward. So uh, there are opportunities out there, but uh, if you're not sure where or how to look, they might be difficult to find. So that's what we're going to try to get at in this week's episode. We've reached out to a number of those companies to try to uh, understand what they're looking for. Uh, I did not reach out to Mir Imran. I just saw that post this morning. But uh, some of the other companies that I mentioned, I've reached out and uh, did not get a word back. Uh, this is an area that I think people are 
sort of trying to figure out uh, how it's going to play out. And they're not really quite ready to, to go public with a strategy at this point. So we still wanted to get you some insights and information. So I instead reached out to executive search firms. I spoke with David Veed at Corn Ferry and Giovanni Laricella. He is at the Mullings Group. David is the global sector leader for medical devices and diagnostics at Corn Ferry. Giovanni is the medical practice lead and a vice president at the Mullings Group. So they're both embedded in the med tech sector. They both know the sector very well. And I wanted to uh, hear from them. How are they viewing the current employment, state of employment in med tech? What are companies looking for from potential candidates and how how are they going about filling any openings that they might have? And finally, I asked them for any advice for folks who are seeking jobs. So I'm going to uh, break these conversations up a bit, sort of group them by questions. So it's a, it's a bit of a different format than we normally use. But I hope you find these conversations enjoyable, informative, and useful. So in this first clip, I talk with David about how the pandemic has impacted the job of finding and recruiting talent. David's been doing this for a long time. He's got great perspective. And he also had actually a very, uh, a very personal connection to COVID-19. He and his wife came down with a mysterious flu bug in January that completely knocked them over. And uh, ultimately, they went to the physician, went to the hospital, tested negatively for the flu. Lo and behold, six to eight weeks later, uh, they've tested positive for COVID-19. So David had a, a really personal touch with COVID-19. He said it was uh, something he's un- unaccustomed to. He hasn't been sick or had a fever, he said, since he was a kid. So just sort of speaks to the, uh, I guess, the severity of, of the situation. So this is a this is more than just a conversation point for David. This is something that he's uh, he's uh, been touched by directly. So in this next clip, again, I asked David, how has the pandemic, how has the shutdown of our economy impacted his job of finding and recruiting talent? Let's listen to what he has to say. You know, normally in any kind of a significant sort of economic downturn, you know, search tends to be something that is a leading indicator of something that's going to go go soft. People begin to sort of curtail hiring, except for replacement positions or must-have roles. There's not a lot of expansion mm-hmm. when people think that, for whatever reason, things are going to slow down. In this particular situation, it happened at the drop of a hat. It was extremely sudden. But downturns, um, you know, they do occur. What's unique about this one is that the severity of it and the suddenness of it and the uncertainty around it, which then leads to the question about, okay, what do we do when, if we're a client, uh, what are our needs going to be? What's unique about this, and it's been sort of fascinating, is that the global nature of this is so sudden and yet also so ambiguous that there's been a lot of collaboration Uh, I'm sure among clients, amongst candidates, amongst the industry itself as to what does this mean? What does this mean in terms of what the new normal will be? So thinking about it in the September, October timeframe, how do we look at our positions differently Mm -hmm. from a skill perspective uh, than as we do now? And so that's precipitated a lot of dialogue, a lot of uh, organizational dialogue about how to do things differently. For example, you could sort of assume that those that have office at home, some may be dying to go back to an office. Some may never want to go back to an office. Uh, People in 
a globally shared crisis situation have obviously tried things they would never try on their own. You know, in the same context that, you know, automobile manufacturers are making ventilators, it's sort of the same thing for individuals. Mm -hmm. So for the most part, um, there are some assignments that, you know, have been curtailed. There's some searches that go on hold. There are some searches that you need this position and you have to do the best you can to fill the role. There are likewise some candidates that would say, you know, I don't want to do a cross-country relocation right now. You know, hard to contemplate logistically, and they've sort of demurred. But the client response has been pretty extraordinary in terms of saying, you know what, you don't have to relocate. Or you know what, maybe we start you on a contract basis just to sort of get you involved with the company until such time as you can go out and meet everyone. Mm -hmm. Why don't we sort of give you a trigger that says maybe this isn't right for me longer term? So everyone has been extremely creative. So what is the market like now? I mean, I think the impression is that there's been a number of layoffs, that no one's hiring, that there's many unemployed, that this is maybe the worst market. And this is just my perception. I haven't read anything on this. It's, it would feel like it'd be a very bad market out there. But, but what do you see from, uh, from the front lines? How, how are things in terms of demand for new hires? Well, demand has gone way down. Right. I mean, of course, and I'm talking about a sector that's relatively robust, you know, from a healthcare perspective. But I think the, the level of demand is commensurate with the industry affected. The unique thing is that I think we've seen the downturn in the medical device space as severe as any other industry right now to where, you know, people aren't necessarily actively launching new assignments until they until it's an app, unless it's a position that they absolutely must have. Mm -hmm. But there's also an underlying sense that this is relatively short-lived in terms of demand. So we don't know whether or not this is going to be like a V recovery or a U recovery or something like that purely from an employment perspective. But there's a sense that there's a lot of activity that's going to occur. Well, we just don't know when it'll begin again. So the difference is it's extremely severe. It's very sharp. It happened very quickly. But, and there's a sense that when we come out of it, that it will be a little bit of a slower uptick. But this isn't like 2008 through like 2010. This is an artifact of an artificial situation. So while uh, hiring has gone down by a great deal, there's a sense that a lot of it, maybe most of it may come back because the fundamental nature of the industry and the market and those dynamics, that's all still there. In this next clip, Giovanni Lorcello shares how the pandemic has hit his clients and his business. Giovanni was also impacted a bit indirectly from uh, COVID-19. He hasn't fallen ill, thank goodness. But uh, he, was, uh, he was traveling when uh, things really started getting serious, and he was uh, wrapping up some meetings in Europe when President Trump uh, issued the, the travel ban from Europe. So he raced back to the U.S. Uh, just as the gates were closing and uh, says he returned on a near-empty jetliner. He had the uh, entire top floor to himself. So uh, once he settled in at home, he began calling his clients to assess the situation. Let's hear how those calls went. My main focus is the entrepreneurial community. Uh, startups, incredibly early stage through commercial stages that maybe are still on an autonomous business scale um, to the point where they haven't been acquired yet. And maybe they're almost too big to acquire, but I, I don't work with the um, massive corporations or the multinationals, if you will. I generally tend to stick within the, uh, the entrepreneurial community. And so w when I came back from Europe, going back to that story, um, I was working with uh, about 22 different clients and at the, at the time, all of them startups, and that was global. Um, 
when I had got back from Europe, I called all them just to see and check in on how they were. And this was the third week of March, uh, start of the third week of March. And out of the 22, one of them had to put our consulting practice or at least our project on hold for the time being because they were pegged to the elective surgeries that were at least those clinical trials were pushed off to the side without really a clear future. And so I was very grateful to maintain the 21 that we still had, which was still a significant amount of work. And we just kept on moving forward. And I did the exact same exercise the next week. Um, Nine out of the 22 startups didn't even exist anymore. That was um, the stories that were told to me directly by the CEOs were venture capitalists pulling out entirely, um, shelving the IP, um, dismantling it because the burn rate was just not worth either additional investments and they were cutting their losses. And then um, over the next course of the next couple weeks, I was down to six out of those 22. And out of those next seven that were gone from that original 22, that was a hiring freeze across the board, or it was salary reduction for the current employees in there, or it was pure furlough. And so that was really when the bloodletting stopped. I didn't see too, too much crazy story bloodshed into the early part of April. A lot of that happened very quickly in March. Um, But then in April, it was really everyone holding some cards close to their chest. And this was really due to furloughs, hiring freezes, additional salary increases that were being assessed on a weekly basis. Um, and everything was pretty much on pause, cool pause. Uh, there was fortunately, and you know this, whenever he, or I should say when someone or when something suffers, there's something else that is obviously profiting somewhere else on the tipping scale. Mm-hmm. And there were other medical device companies, especially on the diagnostic side, that were actually hiring. Um, and there were some clinical trials that still persisted to go forward. So it was fewer and far between, but it was very clear as to what was unaffected versus what was affected. I definitely want, I want to get into those, into those positives because I think that's important, but I want to just understand from your, from your experience, your perspective, at least I haven't, I haven't heard, I've, I've, I've covered MedTech through 9-11, through the Great Recession. I haven't heard of uh, startups being shut down that quickly, that suddenly. How, what was your assessment of what transpired over those two or three weeks? Because it really seemed like there were some uh, very large decisions being made in a very short amount of time. Yeah, the theme on the nine that I had mentioned that were shut down in a very short period of time um, was they typically only had one investor and there was a large sum of money initially put into them. So a mm-hmm. large exposure. Um, and they were in the right place, or I should say the wrong place at the wrong time, mm-hmm. where they were needing additional bridge funding, or they were already in fundraising mode looking to get more. Um, and maybe it was from a syndicate, but the exposure from that one single investor was just too great. And it was so early on when the unknown was, it could have been years, it could have been six weeks, They just didn't know. That's a great point. And and so what they did was shut down immediately. And and the venture firms who did so, they did it simply to protect their burn and exposure um, and also protect the funds that they did have for 
Powell State. Potentially, maybe they're stronger investments if they needed to later on in the year or next year. So I think Giovanni does a great job of setting the scene. Uh, his sampling is a smaller one, but it, I'm sure it's one that folks who are in startups are familiar with. Uh, venture capitalists, while we had a strong Q1, as John Norris reported in our last episode of Dice Talks Weekly, he was expecting a slowdown in April. We saw some uh, some April numbers from Pitchburg, Pitchbook rather on a, on a broader scale. Those numbers are down in terms of venture capital commitments, and VCs are going to probably hold on to their dollars and uh, really pour them into their projects that give them the surest shot of success. So fortunately, this means some programs may, uh, may shut down. So this is the reality we're living in. Next, I wanted to find out where we're headed. Specifically, what does a recovery look like in a pandemic? We've, we've been through slowdowns before with 9-11, with the Great Recession in 08. This is different. And David Veed will explain why. It's amazing what suddenly became an elective procedure overnight, <laughs> right? True. There's a lot of people waiting for some pretty significant surgery that they would not view it as elective, especially if it's cardiovascular or it's back surgery or anything like that. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's elective only uh, in the face of a global pandemic. But people still get ill, people still get injured, people still get older. So the demand fundamentally in the medical device industry, I think is gonna at least remain where it was prior to this happening. We're gonna face a bow wave of procedures in September and October that's gonna be pretty unprecedented in terms of like seven day a week surgery to sort of catch up. And then we'll kind of be back to the, whatever the new normal is. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally speaking, I think there will be some accommodations there'll be a need probably for much more efficiency in the system. I think hospitals have to sort of retain a sense that they're going to need greater capacity overall for the next 18 to 24 months. So that'll be a drag on a lot of things. But I think in general, this is sort of an artificial stop right now. Do you see jobs, the demand for jobs changing, or is there a demand for new jobs or maybe a new emphasis on jobs either in digital technology, connected technology, maybe yeah. maybe less on the sales end because it's harder to get into the yes. hospitals. What, uh, yeah. how, how does that look going forward the next 12 months or so? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it's a mirror image of what we're all experiencing. People are learning to use Zoom, right? So that mm -hmm. means they're using teleconferencing. They're using different vehicles as a substitute for face-to-face -face involvement. Huge implications in healthcare. Anything telemedicine related, anything remote patient monitoring related will clearly have a greater emphasis of people sort of in that space or rushing that space to understand what it affords. In the same context, if you look at hospital systems in each individual hospital, having certain stringent requirements as to who gets in from a sales rep perspective, that's going to linger for a long time. Mm -hmm. In certain situations, it's already difficult to go in and see a doctor you can double down on that sort of requirement, you know, from the distancing perspective. So just like everyone's learning to do things remote, the remote aspect of healthcare delivery is going to become an absolute must have. It's always been a thing. Now it's no longer an option or really a luxury. It's going to be mandated. I think more procedures are going to be pushed outside of the hospital setting. Everyone's talking about ambulatory surgery centers. That's sort of a mixed thing because they don't have as much capability as a normal acute care setting does. So there's going to be complete changes to how healthcare, I think, is going to be delivered. How healthcare is delivered is going to have an immediate impact on what products are required. 
uh, the whole digital theme as well. You know, this is probably going to accelerate a change toward more digital technology, especially around information that historically has been hampered by the nature of HIPAA regulations, the lack of a common standard, different technologies. All these things have been around for 10, 15, 20 years. But now in the face of a crisis, people will find a way through that to make things more facile. So anything that's sort of remote, I think, is something that's going to uh, get a lot of attention. So I asked the same question to Giovanni. What are the special skill sets that folks will be looking for? And then I followed up with a more direct question. What advice does he have for folks who are looking for jobs? Let's listen. I believe that the technologies that are going to be replacing touch points, right? I mean, if you, for example, think about surgical robotics. Um, where the physician isn't touching the human being. Um, and that's one extreme example, or, and it can get down to even other technologies that are handheld, for example, that may mitigate the actual human touch that we might've had before. Um, and off topic, way off topic, but what's being revolutionized um, and they're designing, I've, I've read numerous articles and heard podcasts on how they're redesigning airplanes or redesigning work office spaces, and it's to mitigate that human, um, or at least separation, and, and that human touch. And you're going to see some of that with the medical device space as well, right? So once again, going towards that surgical robot, removing the physician from the room, if you will, and being able to control the robot and what it does from across the room, things along those lines. And that's one, like I said, drastic example, because Many people know about surgical robotics, but mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of new technologies that will be developed and have already started developing um, very quickly to wrap themselves around and fit in places where it's going to adhere to the new world of that distancing factor, that less touch factor, um, human ergonomics, economics, um, and the human factors, I think, will be a huge engineering platform um, to start designing whether it's technologies for the operating room or in general, just technologies that will adhere to once again, that social distancing or that human touch or mitigating it rather. And final question for those who are seeking employment, obviously working with a professional like yourself is a, is a great way to, to be noticed, but above and beyond that, I mean, and three months ago, you might email someone and invite them out for a cup of coffee. And that seemed like that seemed perfectly acceptable. Now it's not. Zoom calls just don't seem to have that. Hey, can we can we hang out and have coffee over 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 the Internet? Doesn't seem to have that same uh, intimacy, as you noted earlier. What is a what is the proper way or what is an, has been an effective way for people who are seeking employment to network, for, for lack of a better word, to get out there and, and to become known and and hopefully get hired. In the Corona world, um, without being able to be in the same room, so you have to go totally digital um, or audio, right? Uh, so strongly recommend, and if anything, this is now the time, and LinkedIn has made strides, especially over the past 10 years for sure. But with, at least in the in my personal downtime in this Corona, people who aren't on planes and trains and flying all the time, um, are at home. For me, I've never been home so much in my life. And because of that, you have all this extra time. And because of that, other people are wanting to network, take that phone call that they wish they could when they never had time before, check in on that person. And for me personally, I have made phone calls or 
you know, for example, people who follow me on LinkedIn and they habitually like my content and I've always watched them like my content, but you know, you never just have the extra five minutes or 10 minutes to say, well, this person's following me. Let me check in and, and introduce myself and really find out who that person is. Um, those, I've had relationships lead to places that I never thought would lead based on the extra networking that I've done through simply picking up the phone or getting very active on LinkedIn, making sure I, I've personally revamped my LinkedIn profile in my downtime. Um, I'm, I'm on it regularly based on my line of work and I've always made, made sure that my LinkedIn profile is up to date as best as possible, but I've taken different approaches and made sure that it was very conclusive and did it represent myself the best that I possibly could and how much content was it on there? Was it skeletal content and I could put a lot more because LinkedIn is used to keywords and the more words you have there, the more potential searches that you could pop up in. Um, so I would heavily recommend that people take the time to revamp their resume, make it thorough, get other eyes on it and, and have them reference it and give their input on it. Is it too long? Is it too short? Um, so please have a good resume in your arsenal. Make sure your LinkedIn profile is out there. Pick up the phone and don't be afraid to just do the grind of, hey, how are you? Connecting with people on LinkedIn. If you have companies that you're interested in or technologies that you're interested in, find out what companies are in there. Find them on LinkedIn. Send them an invitation. Introduce yourself. It's networking and finding a position there hasn't been a technology that has taken it and streamlined it to it's just you snap your fingers and you got your dream job. LinkedIn has done an amazing job making the world an incredibly well-connected network place and you can find almost anybody. Um, but the actual grind of just reaching out to somebody, having that phone call, sending that message, sending that email, having making sure that that resume is nice and pretty and up to date and ready to send out and you're proud of it that grind of networking and putting yourself out there on a volume of scale has not been replaced yet. So I would just say, use your time wisely in this downtime and make sure that your resume and your LinkedIn profile are fully up to date and take as many shots because you miss hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. And finally, ask David the same question. What advice does he have for folks who are looking for jobs in this market and in this time when direct one-on-one -on -one face-to-face -face meetings are so difficult. Let's listen. I think there's a lot of vehicles, including our firm, that um, are a lot of opportunities that, that indies like our firm and others are doing mm -hmm. via webinars, via active live participation and, and broad conferencing to engage with people. There's a mutual need. I think anyone that wants to engage and hear what other people are thinking, like this podcast, there's a lot of options available. People have time on their hands. Mm -hmm. They want to engage. They're finding a way to engage. So I think there's a lots of ways to sort of get engaged and talk to peers, potential employers, et cetera. Part of that is around the sense from a competitive perspective is things come back. And let's just use as an example, elective surgeries coming back. Every competitor wants to be first. Everyone wants to sort of be at the forefront. That level of urgency also means you're going to need the people to do that. So I think that being able to engage with people, talking to friends and colleagues is absolutely the way to go. I think using whatever vehicle you have will help shorten that gap in terms of feeling connected. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of ways to sort of get engaged both individually and collectively. There's a lot that's already out there. Most of it I think is extremely meaningful. 
And the, the, again, the global nature of this, everyone's in the same boat. This isn't like you've got certain sectors that are wanting to engage and the rest of the world is going on without them. That's mm -hmm. not the case. Everyone is literally in the same boat right now. And I'm getting some emails from biodesign folks who are graduating, looking to enter the market. Maybe they don't have the access that someone who's been in the industry for 10 years or so would have. What's the best way for them to sort of start to get in front of people and to, to start to build their own brand in, in, this, in this industry? I think it's, it's more of the fundamentals have always worked, right? I mean, if you're starting to get into the market, you've always had a number of vehicles to do that if you're, if you're currently a student, right? You've got resources available to you from your, your university. However, most of those resources are bricks and mortar related. You have to look to your university to supply some sort of a stopgap to say how to engage with employers. Employers are still going to have the same needs and demands for uh, early talent. Mm -hmm. They have to figure out how to engage with these people because there's still very much as a war for talent at the university level. So just staying attuned to that and watching what develops, there'll be opportunities there. The other thing is, is that people forget that who they know is their biggest conduit in terms of what's next for them from an employment perspective. The personal connections, the personal referrals matter now more, as much as they've always mattered. I think that, um, you know, three weeks ago, we couldldn't imagine sending people to a face-to-face -face interview. Now, three weeks later, we now are talking about face-to-face -face interviews as a final interview. Mm -hmm. Three weeks ago, we didn't know whether or not people would have the video capability or the facility or the skill to pull off an effective interview. Now, everyone's a pro. And now, everyone has their choice of vehicle to do so. Now everyone's got a meme or a joke about changing my shirt three times a day just for better video. So the ability of people to learn new skills and techniques as a collective group in total is enormous. So three weeks from now, six weeks from now, it'll be a much more different kind of situation. I think the good news is, is we're getting pretty good at this. We're getting so good at it that we're already getting tired of it, right? So, um, I think whatever is today's problem in terms of engagement will not be tomorrow's problem. I think that we're kind of through the trough of the shock value of what's happening here. Just as you start to see the number of new cases decline and the number of deaths decline, you're going to see a, you know, a concurrent level of optimism and a concurrent level of engagement. All right, well, that's a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Device Talks Weekly. Once again, please check out our devicetalks.com website. You'll see more information on Device Talks Tuesdays. This is going to be an interactive, connected conference. It'll be an opportunity for you, as David and Giovanni both sort of referenced, for you to connect with folks in the medtech industry. So take a look at the website, take a look at the topic, sign up for as many as you'd like. We'd love to have you as part of this program. Be great for me to be able to talk to you directly as well. These podcasts are one-sided. But Device Talks Tuesdays will allow for some great exchange. Finally, you can find me on social media. I am at MedTechTom on Twitter. I am on LinkedIn at Tom Salemi. And you can email me at tsalemi at wtwhmedia.com. You can also find my podcast partner, Chris Newmarker. Chris is on Twitter at Newmarker. That's like a new marker. You can find him on LinkedIn, and also his email is cnewmarker at wtwhmedia.com. So please reach out to Chris and myself. Also, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can push the subscribe button 
on the Device Talks weekly podcast, and we'll have future episodes sent directly to you. That's a wrap. Tune in next week for another great episode of the Device Talks weekly podcast. And as my partner, Chris Newmarker, always advises, stay safe.